With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Zach on Film is taking a trip to the eternal city of Rome this week to follow a writer through parties, funerals, and Botox in the 2013 film La Grande Blitz. Or as we say in America, the great beauty. Hey, what's going on, Zach? Hey there, Steven and everyone. What's happening? Did you guys watch a movie this week? Yes. Yes. Great. Good job, everyone. It's Uh, all in French or something. Yes. We're talking the great beauty this week from director uh, Paolo Sorrentino, uh, Jep Gambardella, our main character acted by Tony Servio, mm-hmm. who, uh, not big names in America, but from what I've read, uh, quite quite renowned directors and actor uh, over in Italy. So, you can see why. Yes. <laughs> uh, would anyone like to describe the story of La sure, Grande Sure, I Blitz? would. <laughs> <laughs> the story is... A pretentious 65-year-old is having a, a, a midlife crisis, and he hangs out and has discussions with his other pretentious uh, friends. The end. Okay. Can I, can I just <laughs> provide a counterpoint? Yes, Matthew. Counterpoint. For, for Stephen's uh, rather surly review, I would, I would provide the counterpoint that it, it, I will agree with midlife crisis. This is more an existential crisis on the part of our main character, trying to come to terms with his life and realizing that everybody is just as screwed up as he is. And then weird stuff happens. And they're all speaking like French or something. No, but it is total. It is totally pretentious. Yes. And um, that is certainly a thing. Uh, So last week when we talked about Don John, the question was, uh, 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 proposed to me like why this movie right and uh, there's two big reasons why i chose the great beauty for this week uh, one which is something we'll get into next week when we talk the tree of life when i first saw this movie um i was so taken back by the almost disjointed Plot structure, yes. Uh, multiple vignettes. You mm-hmm. could you could really describe the describe the overall uh, structure of the story. Um, mainly, there is at one point uh, which we actually discussed uh, in the pre-show tonight um, when you kind of you kind of sit up and you kind of scratch your head. And you're like, wait, did that girl die? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a character that Jet meets uh, in a strip club who's one of his old friends' daughters. Yeah. Ramona. And, yeah, Ramona. And he starts uh, a little fling with her as he's one to do with uh, women. And we follow them for, I don't, I don't know, a good probably 20 yeah, minutes. 15, right? 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 yeah. minutes of the film. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden, you have Jep bringing up Ramona breakfast in, in bed after a, a wonderful night together. And she explains... Um, She's that, spending all her yes. money on curing herself. Or curing herself. And that's, that's the line. I spend my money to cure myself. Right. That's the line. And she's never seen no, again. We never see her. The only thing we get any indication of well, yeah. what happened is when a, a random man turns to her father and said, uh, "Sorry for your I, loss." Yeah, sorry for your loss. Yeah. And that just struck I, me as something <laughs> just amazing, and I had to take notice of this film. I took that as another example of. Jep specifically, but most of the people in this film being so wrapped up in their own bold, yeah, in their own stuff, yeah, absolutely. That that the death of someone who you know had been pretty close to him for this chunk of the movie is now just sort of a thing that happened, and it rolled off the edge of the pier, and he didn't really take much note because he's so wrapped up in smelling his own farts. Right. So uh, the story structure, which we could talk more about, really stood out to me, which is a reason I want to talk about it. But uh, the second. And probably more important reason why I want to discuss this movie was this movie has set me off on my own personal Zach sure, on sure. film, essentially, mm-hmm. where the whole idea of this movie was, or of this podcast, was make Zach watch movies right. so he understands why certain things are happening or why certain creator creators do what they're doing now mm-hmm. in films to understand where it comes from. Now, in Scratching the Surface, when I first saw this, uh, a director's name came up right. who I have heard of before, right. uh, who is uh, Federico Fellini, a mm-hmm. uh, renowned director from, from Italy. He did films, uh, probably his most one is Eight and a Half, and, but uh, what uh, Sorrentino really draws influence from for The Great Beauty is uh, La Dose Vita, which came out in 1960. Which follows the life of a reporter in Rome, uh, whose whose story is told through, I think, nine different small vignettes as right. he's going to parties and meeting women and uh, trying to help his dad hook up with a dancer. And there's very similar elements from this uh, that I think really enhance the quality of The Great Beauty. So I watched it before I watched. Uh, Fellini's film, and then I watched it after again, mm-hmm. uh, just to see what the similarities were. So, um, I guess it's a testament to the success of the podcast right. to get me into this mindset of figuring out where people are finding their influence. Sure. And this one was different because um, from reading a book, it's kind of a book interview with the director. Uh, of photography, Luca Bigazzi. You can find that on Amazon. It's like six bucks. And it's about a 40-page interview he does. And they talk about how Fellini uh, influenced the film and what really the themes of the film come from. Being a, an Italian film, I'm not really w- knowledgeable on their culture, right. uh, what their politics are like. And they discussed that this was a lot of commentary uh, on the high life of Rome and th- uh, uh, the religion and the people, which was really started back with Fellini in his film in 1960. And this is just kind of a more updated, more intense version of what Fellini was trying to do back then. So uh, that's why 
Um, besides that, I think this is a brilliant film. Those are the there, two reasons why I really. I mean, want to there talk are some it. really good things about this. I mean, you know, I say it is a bunch about a pretentious film about pretentious people, yeah, uh, and their pretentious friends, and it and it kind of is. And I think you, in the pre-show discussion, you were talking about they kind of knew that going in. Um, and then there's some meta stuff that goes on in that throughout this group's conversations, and I want to get back to the group in just a second. Throughout their conversations, they're always like, "Oh, people always put down the fact that there's not really any." relevant writers or any relevant anybody that has come out recently from Rome or Italy and somebody needs to do that. And Jep, you need to be that guy that, that, you know, reinvigorates, uh, you know, Romans or Italians as, um, this cultural relevance Mm -hmm. again. And so from that standpoint, I can see that the film is, is trying to be that way and trying to say, Hey, we still have, world cultural relevance in this film and it is Oscar winning film. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that standpoint, it's like, okay, yeah, I can see a meta message going on uh, right there. Um, But the problem I had was I really never felt any sympathy to Jep. Yeah. And, and, and his group of friends. And I think it's because he is very nonchalant about everything and really doesn't care about anything. and is very self-absorbed about what's going on in his life. And it just really kind of turned me off. And I got thinking about halfway through the movie. I was like, oh, I, I recognize who these people are. This is the Algonquin long, uh, uh, Roundtable. Um, and do you know that group of no, people? No so idea. in the Algonquin uh, Roundtable was a group of New York City writers, critics, actors, and um, other people who would gather together <laughs> in the Algonquin Hotel and just have conversations, very much like Jep and his friends are sitting around having a conversation about politics and other people. And um, people who would overhear these things were just like totally fascinated by everything they said. But this group was very mean to one another and to everything that they were commenting about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see that in this group of people, too, how um, they suddenly viciously attack um, the woman who is always jumping on Jep about how, you know, he, he's Stephan- crap. Stefania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, well, let me just break it down for you. Uh, she, just, but she tells him, right. She's like, if, if, if I have all these flaws, why don't you tell me what my flaws are? Right. And he does. And he and sits it's, there. It's brilliant, but it's very vicious and it's very, yeah. oh, we're still friends yet. This is, yeah. this is the way we treat each other. And so it, when I got that part of it, I was like, okay, I can see where they're coming from on that. And so, you know, from that part, it works for me, but I don't have to like any of these people. And I don't think that there was anybody there that I cared for, except for Jep's poor friend who was living in the dorm room. Romano? Yeah, yeah. The the playwright, the guy that wanted yeah, to be the playwright. Absolutely, yeah. And then finally, oh, that's like, yeah. finally yeah, figured out that this Rome isn't for me. I've lived here 40 years, and I finally figured out I just I just need to go home and, mm-hmm. and do my own thing. Yeah. Where were you the guys woman that he wanted wasn't going to say anything. Oh, like, I, I thought that was his agent. Kind of, yes. Yeah, it seemed like it. Yeah. He did many things I, on behalf of Jep, yes. Yeah, I actually halfway through this movie realized what it reminded me of, and I'm surprised that Stephen doesn't like it because Stephen does like what it reminded me of. It reminded me of Seinfeld to an extent in that it's <laughs> it's a story about nothing filled with right. people who are very very narcissistic, very mm-hmm. self absorbed, very self oriented. It doesn't necessarily have anybody who's quite the sociopathic level of George Costanza. But, you know, that moment where Jep is just sitting there and he's lethargic and he's, oh, he's smoking a cigarette with his friends and blah, diddy, blah, diddy, blah, diddy. And he says something joking and Stefania jumps up in his face. It's like, no, 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 no. Tell me. And he's like, 
fine. You want me to tell you? I will tell you. And then he goes off on the long tirade. Yeah. It's like he had all this stored up. And then at the end, he's like, and now we all just sit and we smoke and right. we have a cigarette yeah. and we make each other feel well, better. So don't get me wrong. Don't I'm you not saying that I don't that. like this film. Mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like the characters. The people. Yeah. I don't like the people. What I do like is what I do like is the uh, cinematography. Yeah. So I love cool. the lighting. Yeah. I love the way that the filmmakers take us through a tour of of Rome mm-hmm. and yes. show us things that we probably I mean, he lives across from the Colosseum, which is for most of us yeah. that is our instant recognition that you're in Rome. Yeah. So Unfold. what do the filmmakers do? They make the Colosseum a they essentially dismiss it by putting it in every shot of, of Jep's apartment. Mm-hmm. But yes. instead, then we get to go out and we get to see other things. We do get to see some magnificent fountains. Mm-hmm. We also get to see some smaller fountains and, and what the fountains are really used for. We get to see <laughs> different parts of Rome and we get to experience that wonder that is Jep's everyday life in that way, mm-hmm. which I find, which I found very nice about that, about the yeah. film. Is it's I, at one point it is a commentary about the culture of Rome, but at the same time it's trying to show you this is this is really what's what we like and what we find cool about Rome. Yeah, in uh, in in the director Fragi Bagazzi's interview, they talked about the final <clears throat> the credit scene, the seven minute long take coming, yes. coming up the river mm-hmm. into the city, and he said uh, when they sh- when they shot it. He's like the second unit was shooting it. No one was really there. Uh, but then Sorrentino ended up using it in the credit sequence, which he said it worked perfectly because the entire time um, we're blocked from from the city of Rome because we have to stare at these narcissistic people. Right, right. But once they're out of the way, we get to look yeah. at the city without them in the way and understand uh, the beauty of the city, which is something they with a hint on with the quote in the beginning talking about uh, how uh, uh, tourists are the only people that really appreciate Rome, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I, I read one people one uh, one people one person's comment on the opening sequence, which is this. Uh, oh, the tourists! Yeah, yeah. The, where you have a, a tourist group outside of the really famous fountain, which again is in uh, Fellini's film, which is yeah. an incredibly uh, famous uh, famous scene from the film. And the the tourist is out in front of the fountain. He's looking out the city, and he snaps a picture, and then he dies of a heart attack. And one person said yeah. that uh, their reading of it was only foreigners can understand the true beauty of Rome. And he it was so overtaken by beauty that he just died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the opening is a is an example of the director putting his money where his mouth is because this whole movie for me is like, okay, I'm going to take you into these people's lives. I'm going to show you their world. This movie goes 12 minutes without really saying anything other than here is the world in which my characters live. We start with all that stuff. By the way, that woman is speaking Japanese with a funny accent. It's hysterical. But you see the guy die. You cut to the people singing. You cut to the giant party. And then finally, Jep turns to the camera. That's 12 minutes into the movie. Mm -hmm. I actually watched that part of the movie three times because I tend to kind of multitask when I'm, I'm doing Zach on film, but I realize I can't do that in a multi-language film where I have to read the subtitles. But I realized I was five minutes in and I hadn't heard anything and I was looking at it and I hadn't heard anything and I went back and listened to it again and I got ten minutes in and I'm like, okay, I've clearly missed something. So I watched it a third time through 
And it's really beautiful how that opening sequence starts and segues through. And then we get the women singing in the cathedral thing. And then we cut to the terrible music at the party and everybody, you know, dancing around. And there's a stripper for some reason. It really put me in a frame of mind to appreciate, okay, this is clearly – he's shown me 10, 15 minutes of what it's like to be in Jep's world. I really appreciated that once I figured out what the heck was going on. Are there any – Rodrigo, are there any scenes that really stuck out to you as important? I mean, I mean, because really this whole, this whole movie is just like a collection of scenes. So is there any one that yeah. just really stood out to you as more important maybe than the rest? Um – I think the him chewing out uh, Stefania is actually uh, like it's it's something that we all latched on to. And I think it's mm-hmm. yeah, one of the few moments that feel true about their lives. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I really liked the uh, the guy who has all the keys. Yeah, the key. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yes. That was that was really cool, and it's and it's interesting. You, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of Rebel Without a Cause, of like oh, yeah. basically taking your taking your cute girlfriend to go see this like weird house. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like let's just go look at things, and it's like you know, kind of like look what look at the sort of thing I have access to, or look mm-hmm. at the sort of thing that nobody ever thinks of. Right, big except, show off moment. Ex- yeah, yeah except for me. Yeah, and that's again, it's it's <laughs> like oh here. Uh, girl that I'm somewhat interested, uh, daughter of my friend, uh, let me show you how we live and yeah. let's go visit some princesses and go visit these museums and go visit the, the Malta, um, Knights Templar yeah. place and those kinds of things. It's like, uh, it felt like, I mean, yes, he's showing off, but it felt yeah. like a, So yeah. but one of the scenes for me that I think is a big turning point in Jeff's life, potentially how you read it, which I want to, get your guys' thoughts on is the entire funeral sequence starting with uh mm. him telling Ramona how one should act at a funeral right. and right. mainly to boost your own social standing. Yes. And then going into the funeral when uh, we realized the boy that died has no friends willing to carry his casket uh, casket and Jep and his and his rowdy bunch decide to uh, carry it. Jet yeah. breaks his one rule of crying mm-hmm. at a funeral because he says it's like a sacred sin of not taking away yeah. the, the the grief part from the family. So Rodrigo, it's, immor- it's immoral. He says. Rodrigo, what were your what was your I guess understanding of what it meant when Jep started crying carrying the casket out of the out of the church? I think that uh, this this whole movie is kind of this story about. Um, a a a like a, a person who built this like nightlife shell around himself, and it's starting to crack. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like there was a moment in his life in which things were true and things were beautiful, and that's when he wrote his novel. Um, and then he stayed in Rome, and Rome just kind of coated him in Romeness. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. There are moments in this movie where you start seeing that crack. Um, you know, every time that he looks at the ceiling and he sees the ocean, when he sees those two kids kissing and he sees the ocean behind them. Um, and anytime that you see him break his rules or break down when he walks over to the, um, to the priest and starts asking him about spiritual stuff and he can't, he can't get himself to say it, whereas he's otherwise very confident. It, it basically this movie, 
in a lot of isolated uh, kind of episodes is all the little cracks that are starting to appear in his kind of outer shell. Um, and I feel finally at the end through no specific thing, but all of these little cracks, it finally breaks and he starts talking about his new novel. Mm-hmm. Right. What about you, Steven? Is that got uh, the same feeling from it? So in that particular scene, he does a soup, in my opinion, a super douche m- move to Absolutely. focus all the attention on him. Yeah. And he's doing it because, well, this is what you do at funerals. And I don't know if he was expecting anybody else to do that because he followed the script to the letter. Absolutely. Then there are no friends to carry the casket out. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking around. He's like, okay, guys, come on, let's go do this. And as he's carrying that out, he has the realization that this is my funeral, mm. that there is nobody going there are none of my friends will be there to carry my casket. And mm. I think that's when he has this realization of holy crap, you know, what have I been doing? And I forget, I forget the exact sequence, but I'm, I'm wondering if the um, breaking with Sophia or Steph, uh, whatever her name is, yeah. if he, has, if that comes before that scene before. or after that's that That's pretty scene. early in the film, I think. Yeah. Before. So um, I, I just think he's having this realization that I don't have any real friends that are mm-hmm. going to step up to my funeral. And he has that realization moment and can't handle himself. Yeah. I mean, uh, from Romano's tale, who is almost the only redeemable character in the film if he if he i think if he had to decide to stay in rome mm-hmm. and not cut his work short because this one girl who can't decide if she wants to be an actor or write a, a prussian novel uh leaves and doesn't clap for him and mm-hmm. then he decides well screw this i can't get the girl right uh i mean he's he tells jep out of all the people that I thought deserved to say goodbye to you're the only one. And right. I'm going to take my stuff. I just wanted to tell you goodbye. You're the only yeah. person that thought, which is, I, I think, indicative it. of that feeling Jep has there, and probably the rest of the group have of we really don't have anyone. Right. Right. But it's important to note that even after the the big break with Stefania, the scene at the wedding, yeah, or, where he's dancing yeah. and yeah. flirting, and they're laughing and they're friendly and they're mm-hmm. tender. That's the same woman. Yeah. 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 That is the woman that he told off. So to me, I read that as these people are so jaded that they can be incredibly terrible to each other and come back because they're the only people they have, which reinforces Stephen's read, which I agree is when he picked up that casket, he saw his future and nobody really ready to carry him. This, I mean, this whole film kicks off with his 65th birthday. Mm -hmm. And he says, as I've turned 65, I find less and less desire to do things I don't want to do. So as, you know, we go through this movie and we see him trying new things and realizing that new things aren't necessarily going to always work for him. I think that, yeah, Steven is exactly right. He saw his future when no one would pick up that casket. Right. And uh, I mean, talking about the people, it's pretty much played out in the two dance scenes where in the first dance they do, it's a popular line dance in mm-hmm. Italy where everyone stays in their one spot and they don't go anywhere. And then later in the film, uh, Jeff is talking to his maid at one of the parties <laughs> and says, we have the best trains in all of Rome because ours don't go anywhere. Right. And they all just yeah. completely just keep doing circles and yeah. circles and circles on his patio. Which is a perfect metaphor for right. his life. Right. Did anybody else think when he came up the stairs with Ramona's breakfast that she was dead. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay. some foreshadowing there. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think I think that's 
that was that was a really strange way to play it, right? It's like it gives you the indication that she's dead, and then she's not, and then she dies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I thought yeah. that she was dead, and that as the film went on, I'm like, okay, maybe I missed something there. Maybe he hallucinated that last bit, or it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was some sort of uh, what a surrealism. But no, she she's awake. She talks to him. Yep. And then dies uh, completely off screen, which so, is so yeah. weird. Here's another bizarre kind of take on stuff. Um, what if, what if she is truly not alive until Jep steps into the room, right? Or until Jep is there, right? Everything that we see in this movie is from Jep's point of view. And if you're very self-centered, you know, uh, this is the same with, that with little babies, right? Little babies are this way where you, um, uh, a lack of up, object permanence. Yes, lack of yeah. object permanence to where if I don't see them, they don't exist. So until he walks into the room, she is not alive until he is there. And then now she can move and do her things. We kind of see the same thing happen when he has the uh, the moment at the uh, uh, bistro, the uh, uh, little shop Hello, where he's lady. buying the yeah. c- cigarettes. Yeah. And he's just suddenly taking a look at all these people around him. And he almost has that moment in the bathroom with the other guy um, where none of that world exists unless he's in that in the presence of those people. Well, I mean, that's totally a different take and it's a little bit way farther yeah. out there. But I mean, if we're talking about someone that. who is really absorbed about himself. When we go. when we first see when we first see Ramona, you can't see her. She's in right. silhouette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's not until she comes over and talks to him that we finally see her. So I can see that read. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it's I mean, and I'm it's not an saying interesting that that's page. exactly what's happening, but I mean, that's kind of a message that goes across. Mm-hmm. But meta- metaphorically speaking, it fits the tone of the piece that Jep is all about Jep and his stuff and the things that he does and the people that he likes. And if you're not part of that people, you're just sort of part of the scenery. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think that his his interactions with the people that he truly appreciates are the thing that that makes me not hate the film like you, Stephen. Like the moments I'm, where I'm he's not sitting, saying I hate the film. I've never right, said that well, I hate the film. I said I said it's a movie about pretentious Jeff. people uh, <laughs> with their pretentious friends. That doesn't mean I hate it. The bits where he is talking with Dadina and he's like, did I hurt your feelings when I made the height remark? Right, right. He's concerned about his friend. And she's like, no, I'm a dwarf. I've been a dwarf for 60 <laughs> years and just completely blows that off. I love those interactions in this movie. And I think those are the things that keep me from thinking that he's just a pretentious douche is he really does care about mm-hmm. A very few people, <laughs> but the people that he cares for, he really just well, loves to death. So do you think, again, going back to him asking her that question, do you oh. think he's asking out a concern of her feelings or the concern of how does she now think about him in the comment that he made? Oh, she's uh, going to think, think less so. of me I, because like, I made this mm-hmm. short person joke. Now, like those those two are old friends. Like yeah. they, it's very clear. Like they sit down and they eat soup together. Like it's clear that they get along super well. It's hard to say because in uh, some of the subtext that disappears yeah. with another language would be the things that we would take from tone and cadence mm-hmm. to where we could read that. I read that as actual affection, and I okay. read that you know the same way later on when. She says to him, you know, sometimes you have to make your friends feel like little children. And he immediately responds, how do I do that for you? Yeah. 
he he wants to know how does he how does he pay her back for this favor that she's done? And of course, her response is, "I always feel like a little girl." You know, I'm four feet tall. You, you I love a, that that interaction. You made a comment about um, because it's in a different language that we're missing a lot mm-hmm. of subtlety and nuance. Mm-hmm. I also find from watching it from the technical aspect, looking at composition and framing and lighting and all those things, and even just performance, that because I'm too busy reading subtitles a lot of the time that a lot of that is being missed because the conversation that he has with yeah. the girl that he takes home, uh, not to her, uh, to her home who yeah, lives outside the fountain. Girl. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of con, there's a lot of interpersonal communication going on between those two mm-hmm. that I really lost because I was too busy trying to read what, what her issue oh. was. Yeah. What was interesting, which was, I thought of a lot because I just kind of got lost in this film and I thought, uh, part of it could be, uh, you know, you have to, you kind of have to like double your workload to watch a movie right, in a foreign right. language because you have to try to absorb the scene and mm-hmm. read the, uh, the subtitles at the same time, which I thought was incredibly hard for this film because I think if you break it down, probably 50% of this movie is just music yes. and, and visuals mm-hmm. and the other is music and visuals and incredibly fast talking right. with incredibly fast Deep subtitles going going the same same time which is hard sometimes hard to keep up with i'm curious this movie is 142 minutes and it's really long yeah it's really long not as long but as it, it was been, almost though. longer Zach. right so uh again a reference back to this with the book with the director of photography he said they shot this film in 10 weeks they did 35 to 40 takes a day which is mm. uh incredibly a lot so he said the way they shot this film because they were trying to do it so fast is they didn't light specific takes they lit the entire scene and then shot with three cameras for most of it. So there wasn't uh, shooting a shooting a close up, changing lighting, uh, going back, and then I mean just shooting your scenes like that. They lit the entire scene, uh, and he said there was problems with that. You know, they had to either put lights in the scene with much of the dance, yeah, uh, dancing uh, dancing scenes, or like uh, kind of an, a weird scene that we haven't even touched on because there's a lot of those in this film. Uh, the entire art thing with the throwing knives and the girl splattering thing, they had yeah. to rig up beams to cross a tree that they mm-hmm. could rig up lights uh, so they could start shooting all at the same time. But he said the first uh, legitimate cut of the film, you know, they, they did their drafts and they finally got to have a first cut, was over three hours long. Uh, oh, wow. And then they toyed with the idea of releasing it in two films. They didn't want to do that. So, oh, no, that would have really ruined it so if it had been two films. So they took the last 45 minutes of their three-hour cut and threw it on the cutting floor. Because oh, wow. uh, and the way from that they describe it, and uh, from the version I have on Blu-ray, there's a deleted scene, which is only two minutes long, but it gives you a hint of what was to come, where Jep interviews uh, a director who's about ready to do one of his last films. And from what... Uh, they describe it. It was this was going to be the, a, a happy character, a character, a redeemable character in an entire film, um, where he talks about this great beauty and his influences for his last film was this stoplight, where when he was a little child, all these people gathered around and he sat on top of his father's shoulders to look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see from some other supplemental stuff, some just quick clips that you can see some of the footage of Jep going and trying to like find the stoplight. And you kind of just infer this from you watch the interview and you see some of these other, other clips that this was a character that I I guess sent Jep farther down his path mm. of maybe redeeming himself 
or just or the director himself was the redeemable character of the film. Right. But they made the decision to com- completely lop it off and end it with you know flamingos yeah, flying in the sky and which was Jep, nice and pretty yeah and yeah. Jep uh, doing some voiceover kind of giving uh, inferences to his last book, yeah. his second book. Yeah. What oh. I find, what I also find really fascinating about this movie, it was made for a budget, and this is U.S. dollars, um, U.S. dollars of just over $10 million mm-hmm. for this, U.S., which oh. is incredible for this piece with, like you said, the setups, the locations. Yeah. I mean, some of these locations, like the uh, Knights of Malta uh, place where you look through the keyhole and you see the mm-hmm. garden and you see the basilica mm-hmm. at the other end. Um, I guess from the time that that place opens at the day until they close it at night, there are people just lined up wanting to take that picture yeah. uh, day and night. So to be able to get it to access to a lot of these pe- places to get some, I think some fantastic actors in all these roles. Yeah. I mean, even though I don't like the character of Jep, uh, the actor who portrayed him, I thought was fantastic. He's, mm-hmm. He's really good. Um, and so to do that for a $10 million budget is great. Uh, worldwide though, it, it was a successful movie from that standpoint. It made $24 million. There you go. And nice. I just, again, <laughs> for what this movie is, from a beautiful standpoint, and it is yeah. a very beautiful movie. Pretty movie. And it is well acted. Um, I love the music, too. And the music is great. Uh, boy, I mean, that's just amazing that $24 million barely pays yeah. Robert Downey <laughs> Jr.'s, uh, you know, uh, role in, in the next Iron Man movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, kudos to that. Yeah, so what were you guys' you know, just overall impressions with the film? I and mean, we kind of hinted at a lot. And really... This is, again, why I kind of like this movie because I really enjoy movies that stimulate these really long conversations. Because if you really break down the scenes we've talked about, we've probably mm-hmm. only covered half the film. Right. We haven't talked about the nun and the cardinal, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, any yeah. of those characters, the painting scenes, the, the fake uh, aristocrats that you can hire to come <laughs> to your <laughs> parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that really gets this movie for me is... Uh, and I, I actually think of a line from another movie that I loved, a movie called Road Trip, uh, where where Ruben says to one of his friends, you can teach anyone anything if you can find a way to actually address the material, a way to approach it that makes sense. This was a hard movie for me to get into. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I restarted it twice in the first you know, 12, 15 minutes to try and get into it. But once I was in... They kind of had me, and I'm I'm a I'm kind of a romantic sucker. I'm a 14 year old girl at heart. I really liked this movie. I liked the way this movie felt. The melancholy, the realizing that maybe your life isn't what it could have been or what it should have been, and then what the hell is it if it wasn't that? And you go through all of the things with disappointment mm-hmm. and failure, and a lot of themes of even though you are you know the top of the food chain in your Rome nightlife, maybe you still feel like a failure. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I really kind of felt for these characters. I felt for Jeb specifically. I really felt for Ramona, who, by the way, that actress is lovely um, and age appropriate for me, which I'm good with, too. Um, well, usually you watch a movie and these girls are like 12 and 15 and you're like, no, no. Not if we watch then, the really old ones. Right, that's like true. Like by now, they're actually way older than you. That's true. Natalie, uh, Natalie, uh, what's her name from Rebel Without a Cause is 115 if she was yeah. still alive. But yeah, I I really liked the 
not so much the tone, but the lyricism and the way it just sort of told stories about this guy's life and, you know, many of the terrible people in his life and you get to the end of it and there's no real closure. There's no real ending. It's just sort of a series of vignettes. I'm really mm-hmm. sort of fine with that. It didn't feel like two and a half hours for me. That's good. What do you think, Rodrigo? What are your final thoughts kind of on this? I, I think, I mean, I agree with Matthew in that sense. It, the the movie kind of interestingly mirrors that those conversations that he has with his friends, right? It feels like somebody's telling you a bunch of stories about Jeb and you're trying to say, well, is he a good person? Is he a bad person? But that's your own hangups, man. Like (laughs) this story, this story is just like, and then he took his girlfriend to see all the places that this magical key man could get into. Mm -hmm. And then she died. And then he talked to a priest about stuff. And then some guy showed up and told him that uh, some super famous criminal had lived in the apartment next to him. And then uh, here's a shot of the Coliseum for a second. And then he called his mate a rascal. The end. And the flock of flamingos. Don't forget the flock of flamingos. Right, right, right. And then there's this uh, super old nun who might be an actual saint and has the power to <laughs> name all the birds in creation and make them fly whenever she wants. Also, uh, there's this lady who won't have sex with his friend. Like, you know, <laughs> um, and that's, that's what the movie, that's what the movie feels like. And all, all of that stuff put together for me was enjoyable because it was kind of disjointed, but it did feel like a pleasant conversation about an interesting person and kind of him like coming to terms with things sort of like maybe, but again, Mm -hmm. it's like me wanting this to be about Jep's novel or wanting this to be about him dealing with the loss of the love of his life or anything else. Like that's on me. That's on whoever's watching it. You know, it is this kind of like very straightforward. This is a bunch of stories about this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steven, I liked it, but I didn't like it. I mean, yeah. it's very conflicting because there is not a character in the story that appeals to me or that I can really sympathize with. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I understand Jep's plight and I am glad that by the end of the movie, he is um, he has made some self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will lead him to do this book. And I forget what the title of the book that uh, his friend, his agent had um, pitched, but essentially that is what this movie is, is all the vignettes we've seen were the chapters in Jeff's book mm-hmm. that he's about to so, write. Something about visions and revisions. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of... And, but the movie is beautifully shot. Yeah. The movie is beautifully edited. The movie is um, wonderfully acted. I just don't care for the characters. Okay. And that that's my that's my big hang up. And I have that I have that hang up with a lot of things where it's like why do I why do I want to watch these mm. these people? But I would watch this movie again um simply to take in all the nuance yeah. that you miss in the first grand splash yeah. of it. Yeah. Um but it it's a fine movie. I'm glad you put it on the list. Well, thank you. Uh for me, I think if since you guys enjoy this, really if you can track down Fellini's uh, I had to get it on Criterion off of Amazon. Like I had to buy the Blu-ray because you can't buy it on iTunes in America. You can't get it anywhere else. It's the only ways I could freaking find the movie. Uh, it has a lot of the same tones. I think a lot of the same themes also. It ends on the exact same shot of a girl on a beach, uh, which is just a kind of a really cool callback. Uh, and 
yeah, for me, I love this movie. I I think there's not very many movies I can watch over and over again. Um, I, it's, it's starting to change a little bit, but even movies I love, I can only watch every once in a while. And just getting ready for this, I've watched this movie in like two times in the last week. I've listened to the soundtrack, which is amazing because they like juxtapose like the old and the new with all of this beautiful orchestral music at the beginning, and then you get this uh, really intense club music at the end. And you're I, talking about Rome, Open City. That's the Fellini movie you're telling people to go track down. Uh, no, which it's, no, La Dolce, La Dolce Vita. Vita. Oh, okay, yeah, or I think it's like the yeah, Good yeah. Life when you translate it or mm-hmm. something. Um, so I, I think I could watch this movie over and over and not ever get tired of it and there's not very movies i can say about that but this movie has really just struck something in me that i love and uh i kind of i really wanted to read this quote out of that book i keep referencing because it really just summarizes um what this whole thing is he says he's talking about the influence of fellini he said every film has hints of a previous film in the cinema nothing stands alone and we're all influenced by what what by what we've read heard and most of all seen Cinema is an art that can do cannot do without its past. It can't exist without considering its past. Of course, there's Fellini and La Grande Belitza, but what's so wrong with that? And that like really just summarized kind of my thoughts on why this was important. Just to stick and Zach on film, and just uh, just kind of the thesis with this whole thing mm-hmm. uh, together. And what is the name of this book in case people want to track it down? Um, hold on, let me pull up my Kindle. It's like if you're gonna buy it, I really just buy it digitally. Because it says it's like 130 pages, but a lot of it, like the first 40 is the interview, and the last of it is just kind of a, some supplemental material, and it's like 12 bucks if you buy it. But it's uh, in the physical copy, but it's only $5 on your Kindle. It's uh, it's the it's called The the Great Beauty Told by Director of Photography, Luca Bagazzi. Okay. Uh, so there you go. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, it, it, I think Steven, you'd probably enjoy it because he talks a lot about the lighting setups. Yeah, and I'm buying it right now. Yeah, so highly recommend that. Hey, you know what you should do if you're going to buy that book? What's that? Is this, you head over to majorspoilers.com and click on the Amazon.com page Ooh, uh, I did. link where what happens? Uh, we, do I get when, when, when you bought that, no, they don't send you anything special in the mail. Oh, okay. Uh, but they do send a little bit of money back to this thing that you probably know called Major Spoilers for using the link. Wow. Uh, it's not gonna. It didn't cost you any extra, did it? No, did it? it didn't. No, no. no. Uh, it shouldn't. In fact, it probably cost me a little less because I'm a Prime member. Well, there you go. Uh, and so you can help support Major Spoilers that way. Uh, while you're at Majorspoilers.com, you can find the podcast posting page uh, where you can give any thoughts that you had while we discussed this movie. Or maybe you've watched The Great Beauty and you want to give your own input into the discussion. Comment there and we will most certainly respond. Uh, so that's it for this episode of Zach on Film. Next week, we'll be talking The Tree of Life. Podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So 
At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef.